0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. God wants to talk to somebody. Amen. I said, God wants to talk to somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's probably you. <laughs> and then tell them, it's probably me, too. probably me too. Amen. If you're not standing, I'm going to ask you to stand just one more time as I read uh, three verses of scripture, then I'll let you be seated for a while. They're found in the book of Genesis. and We're so glad to have everybody here today, all of our guests again. Thank you for coming to be with us, and we want you to come back. Amen. We want you to come back and get everything God's got for you. We come every week, and God's got something new for us every time. Amen. Genesis chapter 41. This is a familiar story, the story of Joseph. Many remember Joseph who had the coat of many colors. I'm going to begin reading with verse 50 of Genesis chapter 41 and uh, pray for my voice. I know God wants to talk to somebody, but I need strength in my voice. Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, Hath made me forget, somebody say forget, all of my toil and all my father's house. You know the story, I'm going to tell it again, but Joseph was a long way from home, family and friends. Let's go to one more verse, verse 52. The name of the second son, called he Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my Affliction. I'll talk to you for a little while from uh, this thought this afternoon. The heart mender. The heart mender. Turn to somebody and say, "I'm glad I know the heart mender." Amen. God will bless His word today. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I'm going to continue reading just a few chapters later in the life of Joseph, chapter 48. I'm going to read several scriptures. So. You go with me, we'll go fast. Verse 1, Genesis 48. It came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. One told Jacob, he said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And then uh, Joseph or Jacob begins to reminisce. Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In other words, Jacob is telling his son, Joseph, here, I'm going to make a special uh, occasion here. Uh, I've got 12 sons, but I'm going to make your two grandsons be as though they were actually my sons. Don't forget that. That's very important. They shall be mine. Verse 6, and thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine. He said, Joseph, you can keep the rest of your kids, but these two are mine. And shall be called after the name of their brethren and in their inheritance. Verse 7, as for me, when I came from Paden, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. When yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath, And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is called Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? He's uh, getting on up there. He had just talked to Joseph about his sons, and then he said, Who are these? So Joseph reminded his father, They're my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, or Jacob, were dim for age so that he could not see and he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them skipping down to verse 13. Joseph took them both now watch this Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel or Jacob's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought the two boys near unto his father Jacob now, Get the picture here, what he's doing. He is, uh, Joseph is bringing his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his dad, Jacob, or Israel, for the blessing. Uh, Normally, a father usually just blessed his own offspring, his sons. But Jacob, we just read a while ago, said, These two boys are special. They're not going to be just your sons And just my grandsons, Joseph, they're going to be mine as though they're my sons. And as you read all through the rest of the old chapter, you see that Ephraim and Bernasseh were treated as uh, sons of Jacob. They were uh, tribes of Israel with the rest of Jacob's sons. And here Joseph brings the two boys to his dad to be blessed, which was a ritual, a ceremony whereby the elder, uh, usually done... Uh, As he was departing life, and in this case, Jacob was on his deathbed, and and he put the oldest boy, Joseph made sure to put the oldest boy at his dad's right hand. The right hand was very significant in Jewish tradition and culture, including the Bible. It represented the strength and the power of a man or a family. And so he makes sure that the oldest boy... uh, Manasseh is at Israel's right hand and Ephraim uh, at Israel, or Jacob's left hand. Verse 14, and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. So Jacob's crossing things up here and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. In other words, Jacob wanted to bless the younger son, but that was not the way it was supposed to work. The eldest son was the one who was supposed to receive most of the inheritance. In fact, some scholars claim that when a Jewish daddy parceled out his uh, wealth and his worldly goods before he died, instead of writing a will, they did it verbally, that the oldest son would get half of everything that was in the estate, the inheritance. And the rest of the boys, sorry ladies, you had to marry somebody who was rich. The rest of the sons would divide up the other 50%. But Jacob here is is troubling the waters. He's going against the grain. He's, He's wanting to give the main blessing to the youngest of these of these two boys and, and verse 18 uh, verse 17 when joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of ephraim it displeased him so this it's not supposed to work this way he held up his father's hand to remove it from ephraim's head and put it on manasseh's head verse 18 joseph said unto his father not so my father for this is the firstborn put thy right hand upon his head and his father refused And said, I know it, my son. I know it. But he shall also become a people. Uh, The the, the oldest boy, he's going to be a people. And he shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim, as Man- and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim, the younger boy, before Manasseh. Let me say that again. Jacob, the granddaddy, put more honor and blessing on the younger Ephraim before Manasseh. And there's a reason. There's a reason why he did that. And I'm going to take about 30 minutes if you'll give me that to explain the reason why. Uh, You can't be in the ministry of the church, whether you're a preacher or or not. You can't be around uh, where the Word of God goes forth very long without understanding how important faith is in the life of a child of God. We... Need faith. We've got to have faith. Life throws a lot of stuff at you. And sometimes it does it uh, one right after the other. Sometimes it comes nonstop. I don't know about you, but I I have to take a hold sometimes of the scriptures uh, that talk about the fact that we walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes I have to remind myself, that book says, according to your faith, so shall it be unto you. Sometimes I need to remember and you need to remember that we're saved uh, by grace through faith. And we need to remember that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And all of this talk about faith, I taught about it here recently on a Wednesday night. And God's promises, I have found, sometimes that falls on what I call deaf ears. At least people seem like sometimes they don't hear this talk that the Bible gives us about faith and how important it is. And I understand that there are a lot of people who've been through a lot of stuff in their lives, and people here today, I know you carry scars from days gone by in your past. And some of you, uh, there have been times, maybe a lot of times, when life hasn't been kind to you. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can let that mindset set in, and the idea that God either can't or doesn't want to move powerfully on our behalf might seem too good to be true to us. Maybe somebody else, not me. Other people, they they get their prayers answered, but but not me. In fact, I, I don't really believe that there's much that can change my life now at this point. Too much has happened. Too much water under the bridge. Too much has already gone wrong in my life. But you know, whenever I meet a person like that, um, I, I always think about the special secret in the life of this man named Joseph. Uh, even if you've heard this story before, you need to hear it again today. Somebody needs to hear it as I tell it to you. Uh, I may end up just uh, kind of talking to you instead of, doing the yelling that preachers like to do in the pulpit on Sunday. But, but let me talk about Joseph for a little while. If anybody was in a dysfunctional family, it was Joseph. I, I mean, you talk about uh, things going wrong. Most of the circumstances in his life, in his boyhood, were beyond his control. After all, he was the 11th son out of 12. He was pretty far down the line and talking about blessings. They usually came from eldest to youngest, but Joseph was different. Joseph, for some reason, uh, Bible scholars believe it may have been because Joseph was the first son born to Jacob by his favorite wife. Can you believe they lived back in a day when you could have favorite wives and, and other wives? Rachel gave him Joseph. And uh, she was Jacob's favorite wife. So Joseph was special. Even if it was for a different reason, we understand that Jacob favored Joseph and really did something that as parents, we we really get in troubled waters when we do that, when we show favoritism, don't we? But Jacob did it. And uh, all this attention that Jacob gave his Son, Joseph, really turned out to be a curse for Joseph instead of a blessing. It was nice for a while, I'm sure, to be daddy's favorite, but it got old because the other brothers made life miserable for Joseph. Uh, The special coat of many colors that daddy gave him, they didn't like that. And, And the more that Jacob would do for his favorite son, Joseph, the more his older brothers would hate him. Uh, You know, kids just have a way of picking out that stuff, don't they? Any difference? Oh, uh, his piece of candy is bigger than mine. No, it's not. It's the same. Well, it's that much bigger. That's no fair. And they resent things like that, don't they? When Joseph was 17, he tattled on some of his brothers about something they had done out in the field. And that didn't improve the situation. Nobody likes a tattletale especially if he's daddy's pet. And on top of this, God gets involved in the mix. And God begins to let Joseph know that he is not an ordinary boy, that there is great destiny down the road for Joseph in his future. He gives Joseph some dreams, and Joseph doesn't keep the dreams to himself. He starts talking about them, and one of the dreams was, uh, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to his star. And another dream was similar to that. Uh, two large sheaves of grain and 11 smaller sheaves bowed down to Joseph's uh, sheaf of, of grain. And, and finally, Jacob, daddy got involved and he said, son, what are you trying to say? Are you, are you saying you're going to run this whole family that your mother and I and, and all your brothers we're going to bow down to you? And I'm sure Joseph came back with something like, well, I really don't know, Dad. All I know is I'm telling you what I saw. So this family is not functioning smoothly. And for those of us, uh, I had a pretty good childhood, but all of us have some rough moments in our growing up. Can you say amen? And I'm sure that all of us have been hurt by a family member at some point in our lives. And that was the case here. Joseph's brothers couldn't see any good in having him around as a brother, and they didn't say one kind word about him. And then, as they say, the plot begins to thicken. Joseph is sent one day out to the field to check on his brothers and see how they're getting along with daddy's sheep. And after a couple of stops, he finds them near the place called Dothan. And and as Joseph approaches them, uh, they begin to talk among themselves. Oh, here comes that brat, daddy's boy, Joseph. And and the anger begins to boil up anew in their heart. And, and, And they realize nobody else is around. They're all alone, just Joseph and the brothers in the middle of nowhere. And somebody comes up with a plan that's diabolical. And they began to talk about it. And they they finally get to the place where somebody says it out loud. You know what we ought to do? We ought to just kill him. We ought to just get rid of him. And when Joseph gets there, the hatred is boiling. And they grab him. And in and, and, and seconds, that beautiful coat is in shreds. And uh, I, I'm sure Joseph, being in his late teens, most likely put up a good fight. But he lost to his 11 brothers. And, and they... Uh, they were going to kill him. But Reuben, the oldest, God moving through him, obviously, speaks with the voice of wisdom and says, no, guys, you know what? We really shouldn't kill him. Let, let's, let's, let's sit back and think about this for a minute. And so they see a cistern, which is a, a hole in the ground dug out to hold water. And they throw him in that cistern, and, and, and he's down in the mud, and, and he probably hears his brother's talking about what they're going to do to him and how much they hate him. And some of them, I'm sure, are still wanting to murder him. Can you imagine the emotions that he's feeling and what he's going through in his mind and in his heart? And and while they sit down for lunch and deciding what to do with Joseph, a caravan of travelers comes along. They're from a foreign country, and uh, somebody uh, Judah, I believe it was, gets the bright idea. Let's, let's don't kill him, guys. It'll be less messy instead of killing him if we just sell him as a slave to these traders. That way we can make a little profit on the deal. And so that's what they do. And they pull Joseph back out of the pit. And here he comes, all covered with mud. And uh, they try to brush him off, you know, and clean him off. Because now they want to make as much money as they can. And they say, look at this kid. He's a, he's a strong, good-looking kid, don't you think? And how, how much will you pay for him? How about 25 shekels? And they say, no, 12, 15. Finally, they settle on 20 shekels of silver. And uh, can you imagine what Joseph is thinking as he watches This stranger counting out money to buy him and carry him off into God knows where in some foreign land. And so they they do that. They close the deal. And like a piece of meat, Joseph is hauled into the caravan of the travelers. And they think they will never see him again. They go home and tell Dad, Dad, look, uh, we're sorry. This is going to be hard for you to take. It's hard for us to tell you. God be with you, Dad. But but a wild animal attacked Joseph. And and all we found was this coat. And, And they had killed an animal and covered Joseph's coat with blood of that animal. What a charming group of young men, weren't they? So the Bible says, though, at this point, but, I love it when the Bible has that three-letter word, but, and when something that follows it is like it is in this case, but the Lord was with Joseph, and somehow standing in that uh, marketplace on the auction uh, block in the Egyptian slave market, Joseph ends up getting purchased by a man named Potiphar, a man who's wealthy and, and very prestigious in Egypt. And an odd thing begins to happen as the months go by. Joseph, uh, it seems like everything that he touches prospers and does well. And Potiphar realizes that he can trust this young Hebrew boy with his businesses and his dealings. And so he gradually gives Joseph more and more responsibility until eventually Joseph controls everything. Potiphar doesn't know what's going on. He just knows that he's making more profit than he's ever made in his life as long as Joseph is in charge of the business. But there's a problem. The problem is Potiphar's wife. And she apparently has thoughts about Joseph who is a little too young and a little too handsome for her to ignore. So she begins to make her move on him. You know the story. He turns her down. She's not easily persuaded. She keeps flirting with him until... The day comes when her husband's gone, everybody's gone out of the house. It's just him him and her for some reason. Maybe he got, came back to the house for something, and then suddenly she reaches out and grabs his coat and, and, and insists that he yield to her desires. But Joseph, praise God, doesn't want to disgrace God. He doesn't want to disgrace his family or especially his master, Potiphar, who trusts him. And so he quickly runs. He wrestles his way out of the coat and makes his exit, and he's running. It's funny how Joseph seems to keep having trouble with coats, isn't it? And so Potiphar's wife, obviously humiliated and disgraced, she begins to scream, Rape! Rape! And and the servants of Potiphar come running, and and, uh, that evening when Potiphar returns, he's told the whole twisted story at least her version of it. And so Joseph ends up arrested, and again, this time in prison. He's in the slammer. And and, and I don't know about you, but I I just kind of think Joseph is thinking at this point, what in the world is going on in my life? God gave me these dreams, but here I am in prison. And eventually, not too much time probably went by the warden. the prison begins to notice what Potiphar noticed. Everything that Joseph touches prospers and becomes good. And of course, we know that's God blessing Joseph, God working his plan. And so months go by and Joseph is put in charge of the prison. And uh, the prison never ran as good as it did with Joseph, like it does with Joseph in charge. And So one day two new prisoners show up, and they're from the very household of the Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt. And one of them is the cupbearer. He's the guy that has the fortunate job of tasting everything uh, that the king is going to eat before the king eats it to make sure it's not poisoned. I can't imagine what kind of society that would be to have to live like that. But the other guy is Pharaoh's baker, and these two men have dreams. And Joseph, I'm trying to hurry, gives them the interpretation because God gave him the interpretation of the baker and the cupbearer's dreams. And uh, he, he makes sure and he tells them, I, I can't do this, fellas, but it's God that does it. It's God that gives me the interpretation To These dreams and and both of them get let out of prison right after that and he pleads with them before they leave as they're walking away From the prison free men he says now look guys make sure when you come into your boss's house into Pharaoh's Mansion into his throne room that you remember me Because I'm here not because I deserve it. I'm here because somebody lied on me again and, And this seems to be the story of my life and they say okay Joseph we promise We won't forget about you. Would you believe two years go by while Joseph is sitting rotting, as it were, in his cell? And we think we have problems. Let me tell every one of you here today, you're not in prison. You may think you are, but you're not. And whatever bad breaks, whatever horrors The devil and or life has thrown against you. If you are a child of God, just like Joseph, God knows right where you are. He knows what's going to happen. He knows as he says in his word about his children, I have good thoughts towards you. I'm here to tell somebody today, God sent me to this pulpit this afternoon to let somebody know, don't forget, your payday's coming. Your freedom is on its way. The prison door, no matter how locked tight it may seem to you and how long it's been shut in your face, it's going to come open one of these days because God's made some promises to you, and God always keeps his promise. So after two years go by, why did God let two years go by before he delivered Joseph? We all know the end of the story. Joseph came out of prison. I'll tell the rest of it in a minute. But think about this for just a second. Why on earth did God wait two years, Sister Carol? I have begged God before at times to let me know why he waits so long to work. And guess what? Most of the time, he never tells me, at least with specifics. I do know the general principle of why God makes us wait. It's not just to develop patience. It's because most of the time, there are so many other factors involved in the situation. The world really doesn't revolve around you and just you or me and only me. When God answers a prayer later than what you think he should be answering it, just remember this. God is working behind the scenes in this person's life and that person's life and this situation and that situation and this environment over here. And God is like a a grand chess master who has in his mind the entire strategy for your life already mapped out. It's just up to you to be patient and walk in his will. Two years. Finally, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. The king himself. It's a double feature. The first first, uh, film dream he has, he sees uh, seven fat cows coming out of the Nile River. And they're followed by seven skinny cows. And the skinny ones swallow up the fat ones. And then he sees basically the same thing in another dream given to Pharaoh. He sees stalks of grain and, and, and the, the skinny uh, stalks eat up the fat stalks. And so Pharaoh's troubled and, and uh, he knows that the dreams mean something. It wasn't just a piece of pizza he had uh, for a bedtime snack the night before. This means something. And so he calls for his best magicians and uh, occultists and asks for the interpretation. That's what they did in those days. And he said, you guys, I want you to tell me the dream, and I want you to tell me what it means. And they are completely baffled, of course. Uh, And off in one corner, I hear the cupbearer muttering to himself, And he says, dreams, dreams. Interpretation of dreams. Now the baker, he had already been put to death. Pharaoh, he did something that ticked Pharaoh off and Pharaoh got rid of him. But the cupbearer comes up and he says, hey, Pharaoh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but listen, when I was in prison, when when you were uh, displeased with me and you put me in the prison, there was a man in the prison that interpreted dreams, and they actually uh, came true just like he said in his interpretation. He's a young Hebrew, and I totally forgot about him. He's amazing at dream interpretation. And so that's how Joseph ends up before the throne saying to Pharaoh, I can't do this, Pharaoh, but I know a God and many are glad you know a God today. And so Joseph proceeds to unfold to Pharaoh the meaning of the dreams. There's going to be seven years of of feasting and plenty. The crops are going to be so abundant for seven years, but that's going to be followed all across the land by seven years of great famine and Joseph proposes to Pharaoh, you know, king, with good advanced planning, if you get the right people to do this, you can save up the food. There will be enough for the nation to eat and then to save up a lot more in the first seven years. And then when the seven years of famine come, then you'll not only be able to feed your people in Egypt, but all of the world will come to you to be fed. And so Pharaoh says, Let's do it. You're the man. Of course, we know God was working. God will always work. You've just got to understand when your heart is so broken and you think God has deserted you, that God is working on the inside and on the outside. When you don't see him working on the outside, he's working behind the scenes to get the job done, to deliver you, to make everything happen the way it needs to happen so that God can bless you and do what he wants to do for you and give you great things, give you deliverance. And that's what he was doing to Joseph. And so Joseph became almost, well, literally overnight, the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation upon the face of the earth, Egypt, because Pharaoh promoted him to where Joseph was over everybody except the Pharaoh himself. And so, I, I don't know about you, I, I kind of like to daydream a little bit and read between the lines. I'm not saying that uh, this is how it happened, uh, because you know me, I say if the Word of God says it, we can believe it, but if it doesn't say that, then we really don't know. But, but I'm just going to fantasize for a little bit right now. I, I'm going to begin by asking you, now all of the things that Joseph was told by God came to pass. But what would you have done with all of that power that Joseph suddenly found himself with? I'll tell you what I might have done and maybe what some of you might have done, maybe not. I I might have said, I might have gone out one day real soon after my promotion said, chariot driver. He had his own personal taxi. Listen, I want to make a couple of stops today. I want you to drive me over to Potiphar's house. It's Mrs. Potiphar I want to see. If you will, I have an old score I need to settle. That woman got me sent to prison for a big chunk of my life, and it's payback time at last. I don't know. Maybe maybe we would have done that. Maybe not. Maybe you or I might have headed to the palace and said to Pharaoh, Listen, Pharaoh, excuse me, but I need to take uh, a week or two off, if you don't mind. I... I'm going to take a couple of our army squadrons on a run up to Canaan. And I think I'll go make a visit to my brothers up there. I haven't seen them in a long, long time. And oh, how sweet it would have been. Vengeance at last. But you know what? You and I know Joseph did not do that. Because Joseph knew the heart mender. Because he had a heart like the heart mender. Joseph, in fact, said to his brothers at one point, listen to this, he said, what you did to me, did I like it? No. Would I like to go through it again? Never. But I understand some things, perhaps, that you don't. I, I listen to God, and I talk to God, and he talks to me. And I understand that what you did, you meant for evil. But God, the heart mender, meant it for your good. <laughs> Praise God. The Bible says that before the years of famine came, these two sons were born to Joseph. Manasseh, the firstborn. When he was born, Joseph named him That because he said, God has made me forget all of my troubles and all of my father's household. That boy's name, uh, Manasseh, literally means to forget. And I can just see Joseph holding that little baby boy in his arms and naming him Manasseh, which sounds like the Hebrew word for forget. And names in that day were chosen for a very special reason, forget. Forget what my brothers did to me. Forget that I've been living for years estranged from my homeland and my family. Uh, Think about it. Joseph could have have named his boys uh, gold or harvest or crops or something else that was going on in his life right then. But he didn't. Instead, he focused on the really great thing that God had done in his life and as he stood there holding that little tiny infant thinking of all that had happened he singled out God's blessings the best of God's blessings and said I'm going to name this boy Manasseh because he's made me to forget all of the evil that was done to me. Why did Joseph do that? Because he knew that God was somebody who cared about him. And he knew that God had finally come through and elevated and promoted him. He knew that God had begun to work his promise. And all those years, he remembered the prison cell. He remembered the lonely nights. And he waited on the heart mender to fix His broken heart and God, like he always does, finally came through. I want you to notice what the heart mender did for this man. It didn't say that Joseph had learned to forget. It didn't say that he uh, had enrolled in a seven-step course on how to forget or gone to some psychiatrist for help in forgetting. It said, God, Joseph said, made me forget. And God can still do that for somebody here today. I don't know what you've got that's weighing you down this afternoon. I don't know what, what, what has, has, has been like a knife cutting through your emotional state of being, maybe even for years now, holding you back, making you cry tears upon your pillow night after night after night, and wondering where God was. Wondering what the the scripture really meant when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you couldn't feel God a million miles away. I'm telling you, don't give up on God. Don't let your heart, don't let your heart give up on the heart mender, because God still loves you. He knows what's going on. He knows how long you've been putting up with that junk in your life. Uh, but he's got deliverance just over the horizon waiting for you. And he's going to fix it for you. Joseph said it wasn't amnesia. The facts weren't erased from his memory. You're going you're gonna to remember The deed that was done against you, yeah, but God will make you forget the pain. God will make you forget the horrible feeling of betrayal, knowing that somebody you loved turned on you and did what you never thought they would do against you. God can take all of that out of your heart and fix it. Mend it. Make it be on your inside as though it never happened. The heart mender can do that for you. I'm telling you today. I, I hate the devil. I hate how he, he works on us to make bitterness set in and he uses that uh, against us. But God can take the sting out of the bitterness. Uh, God can make you happy again instead of angry. Uh, I know this. One of the The subtle tools in the devil's toolbox that he loves to use is playing the tape. I know that's an outdated phrase, but he plays the tape over and over and over again. Night after night, as you're trying to lay in your bed at night, falling asleep, you're watching those old videos play over and over in your mind because the devil sees to it that that's what happens. Hurtful words that were spoken maybe months, maybe years, Years ago, you hear them over and over and over again because the devil reminds you of those hurtful words that somebody said to you. Horrible, ugly scenes repeated hour after hour, day after day, year after year, and it will literally suck the life out of you if you let it. It will suck all of the joy and the peace out of your heart. But I've got good news for you today. If you want to, if you want to be free from all of that, you can be. Because the heart mender is here. I know a heart mender who knows how to rewrite the chapters of the past and let it be as though they never happened Listen, some hellish things may have happened to you in your lifetime, and, and maybe a lot of them were beyond your control. You couldn't do anything about it. But whatever the case may be, I want you to know today, beyond the shadow of all doubt, God can make you forget. He doesn't obliterate the events, but he can deliver you from the paralysis of it. He can deliver you from the hatred. He can deliver you from the bitterness. Listen to me right now. It's time for somebody to forget some things today in your life. It's time to forget. And the heart mender is here to help you do that. the only reason the only reason that Joseph could do what he did is because God who is the God of Manasseh is the God who can make us forget and if you are here today and you are paralyzed in your mind by the past and Satan is destroying your life by by literally draining it of all happiness and joy by his incessant replaying of those old tapes, then you're actually being hit with a double whammy. The original hurt, the original thing that happened back there, that's one thing. But for you to have to relive it over and over again and again, that's not God's will for your life. That's not what the heart mender wants to take place in your soul. I I think of so many people. I I know, I've known some personally. I know there are many out there, people in the church today who go around with an edge, a razor's edge of some kind of inner anger or, or irritability or frustration And I know there are people who are permanently depressed in their spirit because something happened way back down the road in their past that they cannot forget. And those ugly memories are like chains around them, holding on to them. The Bible says we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices, of his tricks and his tools that he uses us. And those ugly memories of hurt and what somebody did to you and what they said to you are one of his main weapons in Satan's arsenal. But let us be reminded today we serve the heart mender. And God wants to remind you that the same God who's dealt with every one of your sins and your wrongdoings and forgiven them and put them under his precious red blood of Calvary's cross. That same God is here with that same grace that saved you to overcome the power of your past to haunt you and hold you prisoner. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. I've got to hurry and bring this to a close. Let let me show you something here today. When, When a second son came along for Joseph to name, he chose another very, very significant name, very pregnant with meaning. Genesis 41 and verse 52. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh was about forgetting. But that's not all the heart mender does for us. Aren't you glad? Because God wants to restore. The heart mender wants to not just fix things up. He wants to do more than just put a band-aid over it. He wants to totally recreate you on the inside the damage that has been done by the enemy. And he wants to mend it completely. Praise God, completely. And then down to Genesis 48 and verse 19. His father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. Joseph wanted him to bless the older son, to bless Manasseh. But he said, he he shall become a people and he shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. Ephraim is going to be greater than Manasseh. His seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. I'm almost done. I promise. But God sent me to this pulpit today to tell somebody that your Ephraim is going to be greater than your Manasseh. Hallelujah. Your fruitfulness that comes out of your suffering that God is going to help you forget is going to be so much greater than all of the bad stuff you went through. Why? Preacher, how can that be? You don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. But I know a heart mender who does. And because he fixes broken hearts, because he mends broken hearts and he can mend anybody's heart, no matter how broken it is no matter how great the burden that you've carried no matter how long it's been he can do it he can fix it the heart mender is still on duty today and the God that I serve and that you serve I hope you serve him can heal more than just broken bodies He can heal broken minds. He can heal broken hearts. He can heal spirits that are torn apart by life's junk. And you need to meet the heart mender today. Some of you know him. You've walked with him for years. Some of you need to get freshly and newly acquainted with him and his ability to work on your heart. I've just got to believe. I've just got to believe that God brought some of you here today to heal your heart. Every head is bowed and every eye closed. Please do not be distracted by everything or anything that the devil is trying to distract you with now, whatever it is, to pull your attention away from this fact. You need to respond to what God has said to you right here this afternoon. God is giving somebody an opportunity. Some of you never knew you had. Some of you knew about it, and you haven't acted on it. The devil's tricked you and tempted you And convinced you somehow to not take advantage of what the heart mender can do for you today. You need to let God do what he does best. He can do a lot of things, but when he comes into your life and fixes a broken heart. I think that's the greatest of all the miracles that our God can work in this universe that we live in. And I may not have been preaching to you today. Maybe you've already let God heal the brokenness that's there from the past. If that's the case, you know somebody who needs the heart mender in their life. Either way, would you please, please, Don't leave this place today without finding a place to spend some time in prayer. In fact, let's stand together right now. I'll ask our church folk to come first. Guests, you're welcome to come. Everybody, come on, let's find a place around the front and let the heart mender do what only he can do in our life. Would you do that? God can make your heart perfect today. I said, God can take your heart, whatever kind of condition or shape it's in, and He can make everything all right again. He can give you a perfect heart. And that's exactly Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you and have a blessed day.